Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we're in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, on a podcast that's on this podcast network, the Warlord Games official podcast, I interviewed the authors of Bolt Action Korea. And since that time, my friends and I have actually built armies for this game. And somehow through COVID lockdowns and life and everything else happening, I have embarrassingly I'm yet to put it on the table, even though I am a massive Bolt Action fan. But as I was talking to some people around the world, I realized I'm not alone. There is a very real, tangible uh, Bolt Action alternative to the game that we normally play in World War II, the Korean War. And I've been meaning to talk about it for a while. And when I found out that there is actually a a pretty awesome event at Firestore Games coming up in Cardiff and Wales. I thought it was a good time to talk to the TO. Now, joining me today is the TO from Frozen and Chosen, and I will pronounce that wrong about a thousand times. I want to talk today, Bolt Action Korea, the event as a whole, and joining me today, as I said, is Josh, the TO. Josh, welcome to Cast Ice. Morning, how are you? I'm good, man. It's good to have you. Korea. This is a topic I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. As someone who's running an event for this game, this is something that you have played and enjoyed. What tickles your fancy with Korea as a game? Is it the conflict itself? Are you passionate about the Korean War? Or were you just looking for something a little different from your stock standard World War II bolt action? Well, it's... Um... It's been interesting because w- growing up, I was uh, watching quite a few of uh, MASH, the TV show, fell in love mm-hmm. with it, uh, learned a bit more about the Korean War through that way, went online, and there was a TV show that aired on the BBC a fair few years ago called 20th Century Battlefields. I'm not sure if you had it down your way. Mm-hmm. I have uh, seen it on YouTube, yep. Ah, uh, there we go then. And it's still on there, actually. There is uh, about the Korean War, and they go through the landings at Incheon all the way up to the Imjin River. And when this supplement got announced and came out, I kind of went a bit nuts and bought an entire North Korean army and up to about 3,000 points, which is a lot of metal to hunk around with you to any event. Oh, yeah, because they have a lot of inexperienced, right? And uh, cheap vehicles. So, ooh, that's a lot of dudes. It's interesting you say that because the start of the war, they were mainly veterans because a lot of them were either veterans from the war with Japan or veterans of the Chinese Civil War, which was something I didn't know about until I looked into it a bit more. Oh, that is interesting. So you, you can go veteran because there is the argument of they were engaged throughout the entire war, so you would have veterans in the early and the late war. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do personally prefer the inexperienced horde myself, though, which is probably why I've got so many models for them. I mean, we really do, though, When at least I do, from what, and I am far more up on my World War II than my Korean War. I fully admit this. But when the U.S. Marines started battling up the Korean Peninsula, 
before the Chinese uh, joined the fight, they really did a number on uh, North Korean troops. And so I guess I always just assumed that they just were not as experienced a force. Am I, am I painting that the wrong way? Yes and no. So mo most of the Koreans were conscripts or just draftees, your, your general national service guys. You mm -hmm. did have the cadre of hardcore veterans. But the main reason why the UN force were able to push back was purely because of superior firepower. If you think okay. of the, the nation of North Korea, and then you look at like the military industrial complex that the Americans had, you think about all the UN countries there, it was purely firepower that were able to bring them back. And the land is in Chon, which basically cut off most of the North Korean forces in the south, and they just had to help hell for leather retreat back to the north. Mm -hmm. And just when it looked like things were wrapping up, um, we get to the conflict the around the Shosin Reservoir. Um, that really is a major turning point in the war. When all of a sudden, uh, what was it? A hundred thousand Chinese troops came across the border and all of a sudden the Americans were overwhelmed and had to uh, make it beat a hasty retreat before they were overwhelmed? As they were being pushed back north, MacArthur was quite vocal, should we say, about kicking communism out of Asia, possibility of even going into China itself. Mm -hmm. And as they were going north, the Chinese basically turned around and said, you come to our borders, we will help the North Koreans. And they said this dozens of times and the Americans like, now they're bluffing, they're bluffing. And then when they got as far as the uh, near enough, the um, I'm going to probably pronounce this wrong, the Yalu River, I think it is, mm -hmm. up by the Chosen Reservoir. And then suddenly hordes of Chinese just come down the hills at them. And they were like, where, where, where have these guys come from? They, they didn't say they were going to do this. But one of those things with the Americans, they, they don't take things at face value until it's the last minute, I think. But <laughs> As an American, I'm not sure I agree or disagree with that statement. Um, <laughs> Well, and it, I guess to be fair, it wasn't just Chinese soldiers. They were sending down mass amounts of armor and artillery as well. So all of a sudden, the U.S. forces really were being faced with things that they were struggling with. And a lot of the light tanks that they had pulled together for the initial fighting against um, the North Korean forces were not prepared for what the Chinese were bringing down. And it wasn't until later that they were pulling, you know, every available tank from wherever they could. I was listening to a, a really interesting episode of the Totally Tanked podcast, which is the history of tanks. And they were talking about, um, w you know, pulling some of the tanks from different places, um, you know, training yards. And in some cases, they were taking literally tanks that were parked in front of buildings as statues and trying to get them back up and running just so they could mobilize them for this because the U.S. had demobilized so many of their armored vehicles and they just had nothing to throw in the way of Chinese tanks in the form of um, the Chaffee was just completely overwhelmed just being a light you know, reconnaissance tank compared to a lot of what the Chinese were bringing to the table. And the Americans were just trying to get the Pershings that were up and about there as well. So it, it really was just a fascinating conflict where you see tons of World War II gear being used. And at the same time, there are more modern vehicles like the Patton and the T-45 uh, that didn't exist in World War II and yet are used in this contest 
quite a lot. Do, am I getting that right? The, the Americans didn't. It's, I, I know this is going to sound a bit backwards now, but the South Koreans actually wanted to invade the North originally. That's why the Americans didn't give the South Koreans a lot of the heavy equipment, such as the artillery and the tanks and all the anti-tank weaponry, because they were scared that they were going to go north. So when the North Koreans went south and they jumped in, like you said, they had a problem. Like Most of their stuff was mothballed from World War II. I think the nearest units were in Japan, and they were garrison units at the time. I think the U.S. Marines were the only ones who had any sort of World War II veterans still hanging about in decent numbers. Yeah. And when they come down north, with I come down south even with the T-34-85s, it was just nothing that they prepared for the bazooka rounds. There's there's um, reports of bazooka rounds just bouncing off the front armour of the mm-hmm. T-34-85. So that's why the M-20 Super Bazooka was rushed into service. Uh, but as for mix of equipment, it, it's interesting, especially from the armoured side, because we've got Bovington up here and I'm a bit of a treadhead and I love my armoured vehicles. It's, it's interesting to see how with the americans for example with the sherman 76 they they had them originally and then the patterns and i can't remember what i can't remember the other one um can't remember what the other one was but the they were the america the u.s army and the marines were both issued with them i want to say it's the m48 the the army found it unreliable so they basically said we're not going to use it anymore we'll go back to the sherman 76 because the gun could deal with the t-34s and you had dual purpose ammo and then when the marines suddenly got hold of all these spare parts the tank was unre- was not unreliable then all of a sudden. And then the British turned up and we took the uh, Centurion Mark III with us, which was arguably the first, what would we call MBT now, main mm-hmm. battle tank. And that was a game changer because well, gun was just able to go through anything. I still am just doing the, the research for this, looking at pictures of forces and conflicts for this, just looking at the armored vehicles, some of the things just look almost modern. And so many of the other pictures could be straight out of World War II. It 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 does make for some really original looking forces, particularly if you're used to playing bolt action, quote unquote, you know, standard out of World War II. What is it about Korea that you really enjoy? And how is that um how is that different from the World War II version of the game as someone who's played a fair bit? So the, between the two game systems, is there's not a lot of difference. The only the main differences are the medics trigger on 5 plus instead of 6 plus for UN forces to represent the advancements in medical and the mass units mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. One thing I do love is the senior NCOs for the British and the Americans make complete sense that are able to buff your officers up a level. Mm-hmm. So seconds become first, first becomes captains, and then captains become majors, and you can't go higher than a major. The Americans do get napalm, which I find is hilarious. I'm yet to actually see it come in in a game. Every time I've seen someone take an air observer, they yet to roll for napalm. Yeah, that it's just one of those things <laughs> that you're so used to uh, thinking about napalm for Vietnam, v- at least. Vietnam, yeah. I do. That I always forget that it first appeared here. This is also, I know that the Germans did have a few experimental helicopters in World War II, but helicopters were used in the Korean conflict, um, not for fighting so much, um, but for observations. And obviously, we've all seen MASH. What are some of the other things that make this game different? Uh, well, obviously, you've got two forces. There's no Germans involved, which I'm quite happy with, because generally, <laughs> when I turn up to a bolt action event, and I, if it's Axis versus Allies, I'll always try to do something different. So 
normally British or something I do, British Birmingham or Forgotten Theatre. Every time I turn up in this axis, you just look at the table, there's just Germans everywhere, and you're like, oh, for God's sake, again. Mm-hmm. But, but everyone's got their own little thing. People like Germans, people like Germans. So you've got the two communist forces. You've got the Chinese and the North Koreans. Chinese arguably kind of similar to what they are in World War Two in the Empire of Flames book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the North Koreans are just Russians with a slight twist, which I do find comical because I went to a event down in Incom in Cheltenham, not far from me, the other weekend. Messaged T.O. and said, oh, I'm trying to do a little bit of a promotion for my event. You mind if I bring my North Koreans? Or I turned up and it was like, what are they? What, what, why are you taking North Korean stuff? And I'm like, oh, it's just World War II stuff. I only had one vehicle that wasn't in World War II, and it was just a really bad M16 meat chopper. And they really do. I mean, if you look at the rules, they are very similar. Um, I do like that they, as a warlord, sorry, not as a warlord, as a nationalist Chinese player in the World War II version of the game, um, I, you know, I would kill for <laughs> SU-152, um, which this definitely has. So, um, you know, I have been tempted to uh, to proxy this by putting my own Chinese forces on, but of course, they would they are absolutely wearing the wrong uniforms. Every time I think I get my head around, yeah, this is just like the game that I usually play, and I play a lot of bolt action. As you say, you have the seasons and NCOs, but you also have forces where you have um, the Katusa recruits where you have South Korean forces joining in to um, some of the U.S. platoons so you can get additional people in your force um, that bulk out your squads for free, but then at the start of the game, they start with pins. You have different types of observers, and there's enough different gear that you know it's really easy to read this book and think, oh, yeah, I've seen this all before. I know what this is. But the second you actually start playing with it, it really is a different animal, isn't it? Oh, yes. Um, it's, it's a different flavor of uh, bolt action is how I like to how, how I like to promote it because a few people I've spoken to about it, I, the minute I say, oh, she fancy playing Korea, they're like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not really interested in it. But then when I'm actually able to pin them down and sit and sit with them and say, look, it's just it's the same thing. It's just different flavors. And you show like the little nuances, the different rules, a couple of the different units. Like you said, the Katsua, for example, I've, I've seen somebody go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abuse that, take a load of American army units with all like three pins across the whole unit and then stick most of it in reserve. And I'm just like, oh my God, why? Yeah, why? exactly. And then, and then they just fail to bring on most of their units and they're head, head in their hands. And I'm like, well, it's, it's a gamble. But if you think yeah. about it, the stuff that st- started on the table, nine times out of 10, just rally them turn one. And then you suddenly have got three guys for free. You've got yeah. 15, 15 guys in a unit. That's a lot of guys in one unit. It is. It is, especially when you're getting it, basically 30 free points if you're playing regular uh, per unit, and that's not insignificant whatsoever. Now, have you played, because this book has a lot of missions in it, um, have you played the missions in this book, or when you play this, do you typically play with the missions out of the standard bolt-action rulebook? If it's someone new uh, who's just dipping their toe into it, I will play the standard missions because they know the standard missions. You can just say it's meeting engagement. Okay, happy days. I know what I'm doing. Uh, with my old club, we did play a couple of the games, from the missions from the rulebook over the course of a, or a couple of weekends, I think it was, sort of a mini campaign. Some of them, the, the missions in the book are more 
scenarios, if that makes sense. So they're not that well balanced. So we did the, there's the one where you got a medevac, all the wounded casualties, and you, you play lengthways across the board. And I think we played it half a dozen times. And I think the communists only won once. But that's purely yeah. because of, you, you get, I know it sounds stupid, but you've got that extra 24 inches to play with. Mm-hmm. It makes all the difference compared to if you're just playing across 48 inches. Yeah. Having just played a, um, a game accidentally on a six by four that was supposed to be played on a four by four and it was played with wise, I assure you that is a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the event because Frozen in Koshin, Koshin is, um, is at Firestorm Games, as I said. It is the 20th of May and it is a 1250 point bolt action event. Now I was going to ask, you know, usually a lot of the events that we play around here typically are around a thousand points. Yes, we go over sometimes. Yes, we go under sometimes, but a thousand points is sort of the middle of the road. Given how many quote unquote expensive tanks are in the Korean book. Um, did you go with 1250 points um, just to give people a little bit more leeway in uh, the forces that they can take, given that things in this book tend to be maybe a few more points? Yeah, exactly. So I, I sat down, I had a look at it, and I looked at the thousand points and like your patterns and your Pershings and your Centurions. Nobody's ever going to go, do you know what? I'll drop 400 points in a, on a tank in a thousand point event. So I did play around with the idea of having an extra 100 or 150 points, and I thought, do you know what? Just make it 1250. People, ideally, people would look at that 1250 and go, right, I'll invest that in a tank I wouldn't normally take. But so Sherman's roughly 200 points, but these patterns are about 400, 450 points. You mm-hmm. basically take the 250, add them on, and your Sherman becomes a pattern, and you can still take what you would normally want to take. Yeah. But on the flip side, if somebody turns up with Chinese and goes, I just want to do a complete infantry order and experience 1250 points, be my guest. But I don't. I, I I don't know how uh, how they deal with such heavy armor if somebody starts rocking up with a Pershing and tank shocking people because that would just be hilarious. Yeah, exactly. This is not a win at all cost sort of event. This is a theme based narrative event, and it's one that does not have a dice limit. So you are really encouraging people to take themed, maybe friendly lists, but also you want people to put their best foot forward on the day, right? Yeah, exactly. So I didn't want to put a dice limit on it because I've been to events where there's a dice limit and I tend to find people... I went to an event recently, it was 15 dice and I'm, I was a little bit guilty of this. I aimed for the 15 dice and I tried to get the best stuff in it. But I think if you don't put a dice limit on it, some people will go, do you know what? I want to do that infantry horde. I want to take 18, 20 dice. Be my guest. But at the same time, you'll have people that turn up and go, I just want to take a five or six dice list because because I never get the chance to run this Churchill or I never get a chance to run the pattern. I'm going to take it as veteran, make it unkillable. Which, yeah, be my guest. It is purely for what you want to take, but it is not a win-at-all-costs event. We do like to talk about missions on this show an awful lot. And you've mentioned that players will play three. So there's a one-day, three-game uh, event. So they will play three out of ten missions. You do mention in the player pack that there are variations of the ones in the main rule book. So I'm assuming that's the bolt action, not the Korea book, plus a few ones based on TV shows and films from the period. I'm hoping there's a mash mission in there. Are we allowed to ask these things? 
you you can. There is photographs of a mash table that a very good friend of mine at my local club. He is honestly he's amazing at terrain. I'm, I've got two left hands when it comes to building stuff, to be honest with you. The bigger, the better, mm-hmm. the easier it is. So when I spoke to him on the sly and said, look, I'm doing this event, I, I would absolutely love it if you could put together a table based on MASH 477. So he said, send me some photographs. I sent him some photographs. And what he came back with was absolutely amazing. So there will be a table based on MASH 477. Uh, there will be a map, uh, a map. There will be a table also based on the chosen reservoir itself, all nice and frozen, lots of hills, lots of rock hard cover. Uh, I'm also, I'm not sure if you've seen it. Have you seen the film Devotion? I have, I've seen just clips. I have not actually seen the movie. All right. So that came out on Prime the other week up here in the UK. Uh, I sat down and watched it and I was like, I actually really enjoyed this. And the wife walked in towards the end and she said, oh, what are you watching? I said, oh, bloody, bloody, bloody. She said, oh, can I watch it with you? So I ended up watching it again the following week. And I, okay. as I was watching it the second time, I thought, you know what? This would actually make for a nice little mission. Mm-hmm. So there will be three missions on the day that will be of my own devising, and they will be playtested, I assure you, <laughs> uh, that will be kept top secret until the day. But they will be very unique. And ideally, I want to space, space them out so one of your three games will be based on one of these missions. So you have said a few things in the player pack that you've said that people can bring unpainted armies. You would much prefer if they bring a painted army, but you don't, you understand that not everyone may have a fully painted Korean force. So you say, yeah, bring it. But I like that you're rewarding people for hobbies as well as gaming for this. So for each win that you get at this event, you get three points for each draw. You get two points for each loss. You get one point. And if you concede, zero points. So you want people to play out no matter what. There is a bonus objective, um, which we see in a lot of UK events. And anytime you uh, get one of those bonus objectives on the table, it's one tournament point each. Um, There's tertiary objectives, which I'm going to ask you to explain in a second. Plus, there's a listing bonus. If your army does not contain a rocket launcher or a flamethrower, your army gets a bonus point and your army gets a bonus point. If you are fully painted three color minimum and fully based. So you are rewarding people to bring fully painted hobbied armies to this event. And you're rewarding for people for bringing uh, or not bringing some of the more aggressive things in the game. Um, Can you explain your thinking behind that and how the tertiary objectives work? So up here in the UK, every September, we have an event called the Welsh Open, which is amazing. It's it's one of the best events of the year I go to. Anyway, I've sort of spoke, I spoke to the TO, Mark Vance, and I sort of copied parts of that, which is where the tertiary and the bonus objectives come from. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fully painted army, I understand that this is a bit niche and people might not want to invest a lot of money into it. So one of the things that I do advise people to do is that if you want to run a communist army, the best place to start is with the Russian kits because the gear is basically the same. So if you wanted to turn up with a Chinese army, but you, did, you didn't know if you wanted to do them in the Chinese code or the Russian army, you're not sure, you can bring them. I'm not worried. Your opponent shouldn't be worried as long as you make it clear as to what they are. But obviously, if you do sit down, like me, for example, I... I love the building, I love the game, and the painting for me is a little bit of a pain, but I soldier through it. 
so it's that little bit of a deadline. So you sat there going, right, I can get this point. I can get this point if I turn up with a fully painted army. It doesn't have to be the best. I use contrast for basically everything now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, the, it's the cheap and easy way of doing it. But when you sat two foot above the board or sat you stood two foot above the board looking at the models, they look just as good as what they would if you were down at face level with them. So I like that you're rewarding people for getting things done. And as you say, having those deadlines, especially in the era of, as you said, speed paint, um, we can often get serviceable armies on the tabletop in a time that was only dreamt of when I was starting to wargame. So, yeah, it's cool. Well, let's talk alterations to the basic bolt action rules. Should we talk about some of the things that you are bringing, Josh? Um, before we get into the specifics, why add some of these in? Is it just the sort of standard ideas of bolt action in your area is that the rules changes are the norm? Um, so a few of them are, and a few of them are, I don't want to say little pet peeves, but a few of them are changes that I think should happen, especially around the points area. Yeah. Some units are woefully over-costed, and then some units are under-costed, and it's a little bit of a balance. It's nothing an FAQ can't fix, but unless people are actually... Because Warlord games do pay attention to what goes on, mm. so they're, they're not blind. They do pay attention to tournaments and what people change, and then if it, if it goes down well, they have been known in the past to change things and basically adopt them. Mm-hmm. So a few of them, the infantry, machine gun, and HMG teams, for example, that's something we do as a club, and there's a few other places up in the UK that do also do them. There's another one that just does an automatic pin when you ch- when you target them, and then an extra one if you hit them, etc. By do think that's a little bit silly if you're hitting something on a seven plus. Yeah. So I'd I'd rather you hit and then get the get the chance for the D two pins as well. Um, we have a maximum of one flamethrower and one rocket launcher per army. Um, now, is that just to cut down on some of the more aggressive unit entries in the book? Uh, it's it seems to be pretty standard across themed events here in the UK. I don't think there's any selector because uh, one of the stipulations of this is is a theater selector. I will be generous if you turn up and you go, I want to do an all-commando army. That's fine. Email me beforehand. We'll sort something out because it's not going to be overpowered. I do not believe there's anything in the book that allows you to take more than one MLRS, but you can take more than one flamethrower. So that limit was just put in place because I didn't want people running around with four units of engineers with flamethrowers in and just burning people off the board. It, it doesn't fit the event as a whole. If you want to take a flamethrower team and a multiple rocket launcher in a Chinese army, yeah, sure, that's fine. You're not going to get the point, though, for not bringing one. Right. So exactly. at, the end, at the end of the day, you could end up lose placing because of this. That's true. That's true. How bad do you want those tools in your toolkit? Exactly. It's, uh, it's a bit of a switch up. You can take them. Um, Hope you do well in all the games, but I've had it done to me. You turn up with something, you think you've you think you've placed, then you turned out you've lost just because you've taken something like this. Mm-hmm. I hear that. Well, let's talk about air observers. They are sixty-five points regular and eighty points veteran for this event. Equipment and other choices remain the same. Um, is that just because you think they're overcosted? You also have artillery observers at seventy-five points regular and 90 points veteran um those were what you were talking about earlier i'm assuming yeah so the i've only ever seen air observers with americans because they get the double airstrike but even mm-hmm. then it's rare the artillery i've only ever seen people with british take it and that's just because they get it for free 
But the Air Observers was interested because you get the helicopter upgrades and they mm -hmm. cost you points. So the Medivac one, for example, is 20 points. Suddenly you're looking at 95 points for one guy that can call in this helicopter twice. So I've kind of made it so that you get a discount for the helicopters. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to take the helicopters, that's fine. You just want to take the Air Observer 65 points. You can run him or you get a 10-point discount on taking the Medivac Chopper, which I do highly recommend taking. So what does that do again in game terms? Uh, so the Medivac Chopper, it is... When you give the Air Observer an order dice, I may be, I'm 99.9% sure I'm like this now. You uh, give him an order, order, uh, order dice, mm -hmm. anything, fire order if you wanted, and then you can choose to roll on a 4-plus for the Medivac. If you succeed, then your Medic's range has gone from 6 inches up to 18 inches. Which is a massive thirty-six inch bubble. Nice that's a that's a big which difference. Is, which is an absolute lot because if you stick him in the middle, call that in, and you know you've got no heavy weapons and it's all rifle fire. Especially passing on fives, suddenly that mm. one that one little area suddenly becomes a small fortress. Uh, but it's only for one turn, right? Yes, yeah, one turn. You can call it in twice, so you've got to pick your times, and there's no guarantee that it will come in. That's uh, true. That's very true, right? I always just assume that the helicopter does come in. But given my luck with air observers in general, I should not be <laughs> assuming that at all. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a 50-50 chance, and it's still good. So, I mean, I've, I've taken it in a couple of games I've played, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, mainly because of what you're against. Some people will look at that and go, okay, happy days, I'm not going to fire rifles, I'll just fire HE at you then and just make you waste that 4+. plus. But at the right point, if you've got that amazingly good uh, submachine gun unit for the North Koreans suddenly popping up, putting 18 shots on you on two pluses, and you're getting a five-up save on them. That, 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 could swing it, that could swing it your way. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, let's talk about the Centurion. Uh, in this event, the Centurion Mark III gains a gun stabilizer. So if you are running it as regular or veteran, oh, sorry, as veteran, you get the gyro-stabilized rule. Um, is that just because they had them in real life and it's not in the book? Uh, so the Centurion did have a gun stabilizer on. I'm not exactly sure why it was missed out. It's probably because it's a U.S. national rule. Mm. So I, I chucked it in there. I, I put it in as regular or veteran. Mainly, I understand the reasoning behind it in World War II because it was put on the U.S. vehicles, but they never actually trained the crew on how to use it. Yeah. Which I find a, a bit odd, but hey-ho. So I put it in as regular or veteran because even though we had national service on here in the UK at the time, certain units such as the latest Centurions or whatever, you wouldn't have been putting your Joe Blogs off, off the road. He's passed his basic training, right? You're going into the tank corner, I think. It right. would have been more of a volunteer basis, professional. You've been trained on the equipment. It was, it was discovered how they worked in World War II. They'd been given the tech by the Americans. So they would have been trained on how to use it. Mm. Plus, like the tank only having the, its main gun and not a whole mount, it kind of makes sense in my eyes. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, you also have in here that North Koreans, speaking of British tanks, can take Cromwells uh, because they used Cromwells against the Eighth Hussars Centurions uh, in the war. Um, however, they can, though they do get to use the Great British tanks. Um, of course, they are inexperienced because they are not trained in their use. Yes. So there was one incident where, for the life of me, I can't remember which British unit it was, but one of the first tanks we sent over there was Cromwell's. 
they ended up getting damaged and abandoned by their crews. And then a couple of weeks later, I believe it was, the Eighth Hussars turned up with their Centurions and they come across these North Korean tanks coming down, expecting them to be T 34s. And it turns out they were captured Cromwells, but the North Koreans had just jumped in, fixed, and decided, well, perfectly good tank, we may as well use it. So I get, I get, I put that option in there for anyone who's running North Koreans and doesn't want to take the T 3485 or the SU and wants to have a little bit of a laugh and put a, put a Cromwell in their army. It'll look unique. It'll it look, would, um, right? It you know, should, if they re- draw people over more, did they repaint them or did I'm um, did they just put symbols on them and have them in the original paint colors? I'm fascinated by uh captured tanks. I, I can't actually find any photographs of them online, there most likely is, but I'd imagine it was literally the same color scheme. They might have just put a North Korean symbol on the side or the front to make sure there was no friendly fire. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, in this event, smoke scatters d6 inches if it misses. Uh, but your opponent does not place the marker, and turret jam will not be used. Um, so, why the change to smoke? So, I <laughs> I turned up to my mate's event uh, last year with a Japanese army, and I took five light mortars, and my entire plan was just to smoke people off the table. Mm-hmm. It it went down like a lead balloon, basically. Mm. So, smoke it has the potential to be good. But the one thing that irritates me is your opponent placing the marker. I know scatter is a little bit of a issue in itself, but this this is literally just a tester. I don't expect people to take smoke because nine times out of ten, you're always better off firing HE. But if somebody wants to turn up with smoke and starts playing around with it, then be my guest. Let me know at the end of the event whether it was good or bad. I might continue it. If if this does well, I'll put it on okay next year and if this rule works, then great, it'll stay in. If not, I might alter it or might just drop it together. Yeah. As for turret jam, it's it's never played. I've no. never been I've I've never been a fan of it. It would make more sense if the, the the turret was jammed in the direction that the tank last took a shot, rather yeah. than where the shot came from. Because I I don't know. I, I've I've never enjoyed it, and it's always an overlooked rule. So yeah, I just, so honestly. I Honestly, I've seen so many people just ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist and or forget to use it. It is um, this. I think I know everyone bemoans the original version of Tiger Fear and uh, I guess the inclusion of a lot of people really don't like the uh, templates. But man, I think Turjam may go down in history as second Ed's least favorite rule. Um, And that's saying something. Uh, It's probably good not to have it there, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's just easier. I've been to events where it's said in the pack, turret jam will not be played, and then turned up, and then you overhear people going, oh, the turret's got jammed. And you're like, why? Because some people play it, some people don't. I think it's just easier yeah. to just make it make it clear from the outgo. It's not being played. Just ignore the rule, because nine times out of ten, the people that come across when you go, we playing turret jam, they go, what's turret jam? Guys, if you have not been to Firestorm Games, it is a sensational gaming venue. And it sounds like Josh has some great terrain lined up. I'm pretty bummed I actually can't come to this event because it's on the other side of the planet. But for those people, Josh, who are thinking, you know, I play bolt action. I live in the UK. It's I could make this event. Uh, but maybe on the fence, can you give us... Just tell us why people should come play Bolt Action Korea and um, join you for your event and have some fun. Well, the obvious answer is it's Bolt Action. If you like right. the game, you'll like this. It's 
it's it's not a it's not a win at all cost event. I will speak to anybody who decides that they want to submit a list like that, but the pack does limit it. I do know a few people who might want to turn up and try and break it, but they won't be doing it. As as for everything else, it's literally just it's just bolt action at the end of the day. If you want to take something different with a different flavor, just just turn up, speak to me. If you've got any questions beforehand, if you're on the fence about it, you might have a Russian army and be like, oh, can I sub them into North Koreans or Chinese? Sure. Speak to me beforehand. Uh, anything I can do to help you, I will help you with. Uh, South, North, I'll just check this in now, for example. South Koreans, for example, if you get the Nisei set from Warlord mm-hmm. Games, Asian-looking heads, chuck them on American bodies. There you go. You've got yourself a South Korean army. And then yeah. once you're finished with it, you can turn around and go, I've got an American army for bolt action as well. Exactly, right? And if you're, you already have an American army for bolt action, for example, uh, I know that my Battle of the Bulge army literally ports over directly for this. Oh, yeah. Because they're wearing gray coats. They're already on winter bases. They already are carrying all the right gear for you know the, the, the battle for the Chosin Reservoir. Even the vehicles literally work. If I wanted to add in a few other newer vehicles, those would work too. Uh, it just It's amazing how many things port directly over because of that overlap of gear and uniforms for certain nations. And it just means that you can, you know, get to use your forces in my case anyway for a variety of different games if you want to call this a different game but i don't think it is it's just a fun new different way to play bolt action right yeah exactly so uh when i went to incom i was had a little 10 minutes at the end of it and a few people come at me said oh can i run my commandos for example yeah sure it was the same uniform it's the same gear it's the same equipment i'm not going to stop mm-hmm. you Turn up with what you want. And then you have people there with Americans who well, oh, I got Americans, I got this Pershing, I've never run it, I've built it, painted it, it's mm-hmm. just sat on the shelf. Perfect opportunity. Your American army will work exactly the same as what it does in World War II bolt action. Just a couple of extra units. All you really need is the Korean War expansion book. And maybe if you wanted to convert a senior NCO, be my guest. And the helicopter models, which they do do from Cerisa Precision, I believe. Mm-hmm. They do. Warlord sells them and Sarissa sells them, and they look great. I do actually have one on my shelf that I built the other day, actually. I do have another two to build for the boards. So so cool. So cool. Well, Josh, man, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk about this event and to talk Bolt Action Korea, and you're giving me a serious case of wanting to actually hunt down (laughs) my friends Dave and Lee and get these armies on the tabletop and play some Korea. Oh, you definitely should. Thank you again for coming on. And friends at home, thank you very much for listening. I know Bolt Action Korea isn't the most popular way of playing Bolt Action, but I do think it is one of those parts of the game. I mean, how many times have we played the same things over and over and over and over and over again in Bolt Action? Uh, It is nice that these nooks and crannies exist that we can sort of work our ways, work ourselves into to enjoy bolt action in a new and different way and um i'm honestly surprised more people aren't doing it but i am i am as well and i just want to check this in quickly as well the the price support i've got for this is absolutely astounding i could go on to list the amount of people who have given me price support there are a few people that are outstanding warlord games with marcus vine Mm -hmm. absolutely amazing richard humble has managed to do some unique trophies as well the long and the short of it is, if you turn up to this event, you're getting at least your ticket's worth 
if not more, back in prizes. So you're walking away in in pocket, essentially. And you get a good day of gaming on top of it. I mean, what oh, else yeah. could you ask for, right? Yeah. And Firestorm does have a bar as well, which is for those over 18 that do find that important sometimes. Man, I do miss that in a good gaming venue. <laughs> I, uh, you're, you're selling this more by the minute. All right, guys. Um, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll high. I hope that your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. Gone and that trap.